So excited to have us here tonight. I'm kind of riding the wave of last week and meeting together for this new series and starting Thriving Valley last weekend. And now tonight, continuing in this series that we're calling Broken Down Wall, looking at how the work of Christ has destroyed the wall of our access to God. And now tonight, how the, the work of Christ has destroyed the wall of hostility between us and anyone else through, through what Christ has done. So now as you remain standing, let me read tonight's passage. If you want to follow along Ephesians 2, or maybe just close your eyes and listen. Listen now to these words. It says, For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he, Jesus, came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. Have a seat, and let's, let's set things up for us tonight by, really, I, I want to bring up one word. I want to start with one word that I think gets all of us riled up really quickly. Uh, one word that, that it has an impact in our culture, it has an impact in our relationships, it has an impact when you turn on the news, and that impact, generally speaking, it's to, uh, to turn up the heat. And here's what that one word is. That word is the word racism. Racism. Racism, most of us are familiar with this word, but, but the word racism, it's the idea of having hostility toward another person or a group of people because of their ethnicity or, or the color of their skin. Now, the Bible makes it so clear that, that racism, it is, it, is, it is a sin, it is wrong. And the Bible doesn't use the word racism, the Bible uses the word partiality. The partiality of, of judging someone based on their externals uh, says that, that is absolutely wrong. But unfortunately, we live in a world. We live in a world that is constantly proposing all of these different ideas on how to deal with racism. But if you take an honest assessment at the way our world and our culture looks at this idea, you're going to come to the conclusion that things aren't getting better. From, from the world's solutions, tensions are only increasing. From, from the world's perspective, hostility is only growing. And in fact, these last few years, there's been a, there's been a few ideas in particular that have, for, for decades, they've been in academia. But, but in the last few years, some of these ideas have really begun to show their, their face. Not just in the world at large, but they've begun to show their face in in the church. You might not be familiar with some of the, the technical terms for the, these ideas, but, but I'm guessing you've, you've seen the ideas around them. One of the, the most, I guess, popular ideas of our day is this, this idea of critical race theory. Critical race theory. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it on the news. Maybe you've heard it in passing. Maybe you hear this phrase and you're like, I don't even know what that is. That's, that sounds like a lot of words, right? Well, it is because for a long time it was in academia. But critical race theory, in short... It's a 
humanistic way of looking at people based on their ethnicity and ultimately looking at their ethnicity and whether or not that grouping of people or that person experiences power or oppression because of their social status. And so this idea says that that in our world today, if you are someone who is of a certain social status, you have power. And if you are of a certain social status, you experience oppression. Now, while power and oppression certainly do exist, what this idea ends up doing is it boils everything down to where you fit on a grid of intersectionality and that it ends up assigning to you the identity of being oppressor or oppressed. Not because of your actions. Not because of your character. Not because of the way you live your life. But because of the color of your skin. It's the opposite of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, where he dreamed that one day his children would be judged. How? By the content of their character. And so we, we look at our world, and we look at our world presenting these ideas, and, and we look at certain organizations that grab onto these ideas. Organizations like Black Lives Matter, who have been on the news over and over again for the last few years, and, and they have a very clear agenda that wants to dismantle the family, it wants to attack fathers leading homes. It wants to bring into question any kind of ideas we have about sexual norms. And ultimately, it, it wants to dismantle all of this because it would say all of this is a function of those who have power. They would say it's a function of white supremacy. Now, is there any hope? I mean, I see your faces. Some of you guys aren't even breathing right now. You're like, oh, we're going here tonight. <laughs> I know I should have gone to the beach. Dang. <laughs> Is there any hope? Do, do we just look at each other by skin color and judge each other based on that and say, oh, you're an oppressor. You're oppressed. You have power. And, and, and you, because of your skin color, you have no power. You're, you're just hopeless. You have no, no credibility at all. Is there any hope? How, how are we supposed to think about this? I made the promise a few weeks ago that today's passage is one of the most important passages for understanding our world and the racial division that we experience. I would argue that for the church, this is a foundational bedrock passage of God's revealed truth that not only exalts the work of Jesus Christ and his majesty, but gives us a clear understanding of how to think about race. Of how to think about race. In fact, today's passage, our big idea, where we're going to land, what I want you to see as we examine verses 14 through 18 is that Christ is our peace. Christ is our peace that destroys human hostility. See, academia doesn't have the solution. Activist organizations do not have the solution ideologies and philosophies that are man-made and that are man-centered, they do not have the remedy. But Christ is our peace, and he destroys human hostility. 
If you have not opened your Bibles yet, would you open up the Bible, your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2? I want you to see these words in your own Bible if you have it with you. I want us to see how a Jewish man crucified 2,000 years ago has done the most amazing thing when we think not just about our salvation, but when we think about the ethnic divides that exist in our world today. Well, let's, let's open up to Ephesians 2. It, where we're going to start, what we're going to see as we begin, is we're going to see that peace has arrived, and that peace has arrived in Christ. Now, look at verses 14 through 16 with me. Let me read the 14 through 16, and then we're going to just walk through This is kind of the, the first half of our sermon is going to handle these three verses. Here's what it says. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Now, time out. Who, who's us? Who's us both? If you were with us last week, we described that the, the us in this context is Paul's writing to the Ephesians, these Gentile believers in the first century. These were non-Jewish believers. They were the uncircumcised. The, the two groups of people in that world were not black and white. The two groups of people in that world were Jewish and Gentile. And so Paul is writing about this ethnic distinction. And here's what he says. He says, he, Christ himself, is our peace who has made us both, the uncircumcised and the circumcised, the Jew and the Gentile, made us both one and is broken down in his flesh. The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in, the or, in ordinances. Why? That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Amen. <laughs> well, let's walk through this. Let's examine who Christ is and let's, let's examine what Christ has done. This is just like any other week at Valley. Let's look at who Christ is and let's look at what Christ has done, but let's do it with an eye to this cultural tension that we, we experience in our world today. So, so who is Christ? Who Christ is? Well, the text makes it really plain. Christ is our peace. The text says it so plainly. Christ is our peace. Uh, the, the Greek word for peace here, it, it's this idea of wholeness. It's, it's really the idea of, of peace and prosperity because of a lack of war. When, when the Greeks use the word peace, they mean that there is a lack of hostility, there is a lack of enmity, and because there's no fighting, because there's no war, because there's no hostility, guess what? We, we can get things done, <laughs> We're able to progress. We're able to move forward. Life prospers. Christ is our peace. That's the, that's the Greek term. The Hebrew term, really, that's the idea of wholeness. The Hebrew term, the Old Testament term is shalom. And when the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Old Testament is translated into Greek, they use that word in Greek, irene, peace. But for the Hebrews, like Paul well, shalom is one of the most significant words ever. You've probably heard how a Jewish person would greet another pers Jewish person and, and their greeting wouldn't be, what's up? Right? Their greeting would be, shalom, peace. It's this recognition of a lack of fracturing between relationships. 
of a wholeness when they come together. Where do you find peace? Christ is our peace. This is what the text says. He is our peace. And we're reminded that Christ is our peace. He is the peace for the Jews and the Gentiles. Write down Acts chapter 10. I have one verse referenced in your notes. But Acts chapter 10, is, it's just a marvelous passage that really is an illustration of what we're talking about all of this evening. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection and then ascension. The apostle Peter, he's, he's praying, and in his prayer, he ends up having this vision. And in this vision, there is a sheet that is lowered down from heaven. And on this sheet, there are all sorts of these animals that were forbidden. They were unclean animals. And the voice of the Lord tells Peter, he says, kill and eat. And Peter's like, Lord, no, I have never eaten anything unclean. I'm a good Jewish boy. I eat my broccoli and not my bacon. <laughs> the Lord says, don't call unclean what the Lord is called clean. His door. And he goes out and he found, finds that he has been summoned by a Gentile, Cornelius. Cornelius, who is de devout to the one true God, but he is not Jewish. And, and Peter goes to his house, and, and Cornelius is eager to meet with Peter. And P he basically says, we were told to call for you. And Peter says, well, the Lord told me to come with you. And then Peter begins to teach Cornelius, this Gentile. And what does he say? Verse 36. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of Jews. He is Lord of all. Acts chapter 10 is this incredible moment where the gospel is extended beyond racial boundaries and it is given to the Gentiles. We thank God for Acts chapter 10 because most in this room are not Jewish we are those Gentiles. We are those who God has, who has said, we are now, uh, have the access to the gospel. And Christ is our peace. He is our peace, Jew and Gentile alike. He is our peace with God. I mean, think about this. There is now, there is now no more enmity between us and God. We, we covered this earlier in chapter two. We used to be enemies of God and now we are children of God. We used to be children of wrath and now we have been made clean and made whole. We've been adopted. So now there is prosperity that exists in our lives because of a lack of war or hostility between us and God. Jews and Gentiles alike. Christ is our peace with God, but that peace... It's not just this warm, fuzzy, spiritual feeling that says, okay, I'm okay with God now, and so everything's good. Christ is our peace on earth. Last week at Thriving Valley, our Sunday night services, we're talking about how we can be a healthy church. 
We talked about Isaiah briefly. Someone has some questions about how we can have confidence in, in the Scripture. And we ended up looking at Isaiah and how the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found a thousand years earlier than, than the, 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 late, or the youngest or oldest document we had. I'm getting my words a little jumbled. They gave us great confidence in the prophecies about Christ. Let me, let me remind you of one of the prophecies of Christ that come out in a title of Christ from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I know it just turned fall, right? But we're going to, we're going to, we're going to. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen, Jesus is our peace with God, but this is not a peace just meant to be, oh, I'm good with God. No, this is a peace that extends by his rule and his reign over the entirety of the world. The government rests upon whose shoulder? Upon Christ's shoulder. Upon Christ's shoulder. This is who Christ is. Christ is our peace. This is who he is. But let's keep going. Let's see what he has done. What Christ did. Here's what Christ did. Christ broke down the wall of ethnic hostility. This is what he's done. Last week we talked about the Great Wall of China and, and we imagined our Great Wall of our sin that divided us from God the Father. Well, this is talking about a different wall. In the same way that Christ stuffed the wall of our sin with C4, really it was with his blood. He, he broke it down with his blood. He has done that with the ethnic wall of hostility. Verse 14, he, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now this dividing wall of hostility, this is not just an imaginary wall. I asked you last week to think metaphorically of this dividing wall between us and God. But, but for the Jews and the Greeks, there literally was a dividing wall that prevented Gentiles from entering into certain parts of the temple. Jewish men could enter into a certain place, but Gentiles and women were not. This was, there was this divide of access to God. And look what the text says. The text says that he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There was a literal wall that divided ethnicities and their, their access to God. Because this wall existed, well, because this wall existed, it created a natural enmity between Jew and Gentile. They, they didn't like each other. The Jewish people, they looked down at the Gentiles. They derided them. In fact, we saw last week that they, they even used that, that word uncircumcised. It actually isn't even a pleasant word. It's a derogatory term. They looked down on them. And the Gentiles did the same to the Jews. The Roman Gentiles had conquered the Jews. They had subjugated the Jewish people. For the Romans, the Jewish people were nothing. 
They were nothing. This was just absolute hostility. But now both groups stand on equal ground before God. And because of that, the point of this text, so both groups no longer should have any hostility toward each other. This is what Christ has done. This is the work of Jesus Christ. We're going to revisit this in a moment. But before we do, I want you to see how Christ did it. Who is Christ? He is our peace. What has Christ done? He has done what no college or no professor can ever do. We got all these great ideas. Here's how we should deal with racism. No, Christ destroyed, he broke down the wall of hostility. How? How? The cross. The cross. Look at verse 15. Verses 15 and 16 just describe this in, marvelous, in a marvelous way. It says, here's how he did it. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in us one new man in place of the two, so making peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, here it is, through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Now, I want you to look at the beginning of verse 15 and the end of verse 16. This is how he's done it. It says, first of all, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, and then the end of verse 16, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is what Christ's cross accomplished. I want you to think about all the Old Testament feasts. I want you to think about their, their sacrificial system. I want you to think about the laws that separated Jewish people from Gentile people. And I want you to realize all of that has been abolished. And it has been abolished because Christ himself has perfectly fulfilled the law of God. He's perfectly fulfilled it. He's perfectly fulfilled it in his life as he lived a perfect, sinless life. His active obedience, he did everything perfectly. And he perfectly fulfilled it in his sacrifice. His active obedience is doing everything right. And then what's called his passive obedience is when he willingly laid down his life and was sacrificed on the cross. Through that work, we, we like to think through that work, okay, I'm made right with God, but that's not all. Through that work, he, he abolished the law of, laws of commandments expressed in the ordinances, all of these have-tos, and he killed the hostility. No, notice this is not, this is not uh, soft language. It doesn't say that he tamed the hostility. He doesn't say he simmered down the hostility. It doesn't say he made a, made a temporary peace treaty between the two ethnicities. Look at the language, church. He killed it. It's dead. It's gone. Those in Christ he has killed any ethnic, ethnic hostility that exists between you and anyone else. It's been said that, that a 
white suburban Christian has more in common with a brother or sister in Christ in sub-Saharan Africa than they do with their, their white neighbor that lives right next door and has the same job and the same income. You have more in common with that person. This, everything externally is completely different. You have more in common with that person than the person that you probably go golfing with. <laughs> this is what Christ has done. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about Jesus' language, in fact, during the Last Supper. I want you to think about Jesus' language when he is in the upper room with his disciples and he knows his death is coming. He's washed his disciples' feet. He knows that Judas has betrayed him. He knows that in a few hours he's going to be praying alone in the garden while his disciples are falling asleep instead of praying. He knows they're going to come find him and they're going to arrest him. He knows they're going to go and beat him and try him falsely and rip out his beard and take him outside the city limits and crucify him until he breathes his last. He knows all of this, but I want you to think about what he says to them. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells the story. Verses 23 through 25, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the broken bread passed out, and they ate of the bread, the broken bread, together. Verse 25, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup, look here, look here, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Hold on to those words. New covenant of my blood. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. This is what Christ has done by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. All of these, here's what you have to do to be right with God. Here's the obedience that's required, and here is the sacrifice that's required for your disobedience. Here, here's what Christ says He says, There is now a new covenant. He's abolished the commandments and the ordinances by the shedding of of his blood. And in this, in this very act, he has killed the hostility. He's killed the hostility. It's, it's dead. This is what we're faced with here, church. The gospel says we are all sinners regardless of our skin color. The gospel says we are all damned to a Christless eternity because of that sin. The gospel says that even in our rebellion, God loves us despite our sin so much that he sent his son Jesus to die and pay the price for all of that sin. The gospel says that we, when we believe in Christ, we have peace with God. And the hostility between us and anyone else, it's killed. It's killed. 
There should be no such thing as a Christian who's partial because of skin color. It's killed. There should be no partiality. Listen, listen very carefully. I'm going to make this application very, very obvious. There is no partiality for those in Christ. There is no partiality based upon race or ethnicity. There is no partiality based upon gender. There, there is no partiality based upon income level, wealth. There is no partiality based upon age. If you are in Christ, you should have no partiality existing in your heart whatsoever. It has been killed. This partiality is gone. My, my second op- application that means that there should be no hostility. Brother or sister in Christ, if you have hostility in your heart toward another brother or sister in Christ, it's time to take care of it. Christ died and rose again so that hostility would be, it would be removed. I mean, let's, go, let's go deeper than skin right now. Some of us in this church, we walk around with resentments toward each other. Someone said something to us once. Someone asked us to do something. Someone instructed us in a certain way that we didn't like. And because of that, we are bitter and maybe even mean. There is no hostility for brothers and sisters in Christ. This this does not just apply to the skin color. This applies to the very depth of our souls. This is what it looks like to be in Christ. See, Christ is our peace. He broke down the wall of hostility on the cross. That's how. But don't lose picture. Don't Don't lose sight of why. This gets even better. Here's why. Why Christ did it. Christ did it to make the church. I, I might just get excited about this because I, I, I maybe a little bit of a theological nerd sometimes. But, but what you're about to see is marvelous. You're about to see something that for millennium did not exist. And for millennium was kept hidden You're about to see a mystery of God that he has now revealed. Something that God knew and no one else knew. And now he shows it off plainly so that we can marvel at it. Let me show you. Verse 15 again. It says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He says this is what the church is. The church is one new man. <clears throat> now I want you to think about man in terms of mankind, in terms of humanity. I want you to recognize that before the work of Christ, you had this great division, Jew and Gentile, and the Jews were God's chosen people for ages and for God's purpose. But now, God has created something brand new. One new man. 
He says this one new man, this new humanity is the church. And you know what he's done? He's reconciled the Jews and he's reconciled Gentiles and he's reconciled them to God and he's reconciled them to God together. He's going, this is something brand new. This is the church. Now this mystery, Jesus gave hints of it. John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to Jewish people, the Jewish leaders in particular, and he says this, he says, and I have other sheep. Jesus has other sheep? He's given a hint. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And Jesus is just teasing them. (laughs) They're so used to the Jewish people being the chosen nation. And Jesus says, you know what? There's something so much bigger happening. I have these other sheep. You're not going to, you, you, Jewish folks, you're going to lose your mind when you find out who they are. I'm going to bring the Gentiles in and I'm going to create something brand new. First Peter chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Peter, led by the Spirit of God, speaking to the church. Here's what he says. He says, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, talking about Jesus. It, look, at, look at verse 9. He says, but you, church, you are a chosen race. They weren't one ethnicity. They weren't just Jewish anymore. They were Jews and Gentiles. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is what it says about the church. You're chosen. You are, don't, don't, get, don't get a big head, but look what it says. You're royalty. How, how are you royalty? Well, we're children of of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is, what it, this is what he's doing. The church is one new man. Also, the church is one new body. One new body. If we were to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, we'll get there in a little while. But, but chapter 3, verse 6, it says, this mystery. There's that word mystery. A mystery in the scripture is something that was previously hidden that God has now revealed. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, the church is a brand new creation. This is what Jesus was accomplishing. When he saved you, he didn't just save you as an individual. Oh, you're so special. He saved you and he loves you. No, he saved you into the church. What an amazing truth. What an amazing gift. This is why there should be no hostility between us. This is where there should be no ethnic bias between us us and others. And so Christ is our peace. He has broken down the wall of, of hostility by the cross, and he has made this brand new beautiful thing, this thing called the church. Now look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that Christ is not just our peace that has done all this, but Christ, he he preached. We're going to see that this peace is preached by Christ. 
verses 17 and 18. It says, And he came, and he preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to you who were near, Jewish people. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Here's what Christ has done. He came and he preached And the peace that he preached was not an exclusive peace only to the Jewish people, but instead it is a a peace that surpasses just one ethnicity. It's a peace that is preached to those who are far off, even to those in Longview, Washington, (laughs) way out here. This is the peace that he preached. And here's the message. First of all, all can have peace with the Father. All can have peace with the Father. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I want to just linger here for a minute. Last week we talked about this dividing wall of hostility between us and God. This, hall of, this wall of access that says, you and I, we, we, we had no access to God because of our sin. I, I want you to realize, you don't just have access to God. You have peace with him. This peace is the presence of prosperity because of an absence of hostility. Do you realize God's no longer mad, with, mad at you? Sometimes we we have people in our lives that are always mad at us. You have someone like that in your life? Maybe maybe you grew up in a house where it seemed like mom or dad were always mad. Maybe you have a grumpy neighbor, right? And he's always like, get off my lawn, right? Like, maybe you have a family member. They're always mad at you. You're always walking on eggshells. You're always worried about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. That's not God. No, we, we, we see our sin. We see our selfishness. We see our stupidity. <laughs> and it's really easy to default back to, man, my sin, my selfishness, my stupidity. God must be mad at me. God must have at least his eyebrow curled at me, right? Like, he, he must be looking down at me. He probably has his finger pointed at me right now. He, he, he's mad at me. He sees how much I mess up. He's got to be angry. He's not mad at you anymore. You now have peace with God. And and we're going to look at it's through Christ. It's not because of you. It's because of the cross. This peace with God is the basis for our peace with each other. If he has forgiven us of all of our sin, how can we not forgive each other? You have peace with God. Can I ask you, have you received that peace yet? Are you still living under this dark cloud of God's anger? Are you still worried that he's mad at you? Or... or, Or do you have peace? 
The text says that we have, we have peace with the Father. But, but look at how we have peace with the Father. See, all can have peace with the Father, but all can have peace through Christ the Son. Verse 18, it says, through him. This is speaking about Jesus Christ. We've seen this phrase, through him. We've seen the preposition, in him. We've seen, by him. I I want you to see all of these things. They point to the same person, and they point to the same accomplishment. Because of the perfect, sinless Christ, and his loving, sacrificial, substitutionary death, when you have faith in him, when you trust him, you now have peace with the Father. Your access is only through the one Christ. This means you don't have peace with God through your moral behavior. Some of you are really good Christian boys and Christian girls. But, But is Christian referring to your morality or is it referring to your reliance upon Christ? Your access is not through your moral behavior. It's not through your good works. It's not just because you don't lie, and it's also not just because of all the good things you do. Maybe you're the person that always is, you know, proverbially speaking, helping old ladies cross the street, right? You see a need, you fill a need. Someone's hurting, you help them. Someone has a need, you're right there. You notice someone who, who, who's got, got some sort of difficulty, you're right there serving them. And you're hoping little by little that your moral credibility, that your good works, they're stacking up little by little. And your hope beyond hope is that those good things you're doing at the very end, when everything's weighed out, those good things are going to weigh just a little bit more than all those bad things you've been doing. For through him, for through Christ, both Jew and Gentile have access in one spirit to the Father. Now some of us, those first two categories, they're not enough, but we're still not ready for Christ. And so here's what we do. We say it's not just about being a good person, my moral works. And it's not just about doing good things, not just my moral behavior, but like going, you know, doing good things. We start to say, oh, you know what I really got to do is I have to sacrifice. I have to sacrifice. So instead of just helping old ladies cross the road, you're, you're going on mission trips. And you're giving to every charity you can. And you're going without. You're driving the beater car just so you can give a little bit to another charity and you're hoping that it's not just that you're doing good things, but you're sacrificing. And through your sacrifice, maybe you can have access to the Father. Read verse 18 again. Let's just be exceedingly clear tonight. For through him... Not through your moral behavior, not through your good works, and not through your sacrificial acts, but through Christ Jesus. You can have peace with the Father. But look at the last part of this. We see that not only can all have peace with the Father, and not only can all have peace through Christ the Son, but finally all can have peace in the Spirit. 
Verse 18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit. In the Holy Spirit. This idea of one spirit, it's meant to emphasize the reality of unity. Unity. See, all have access in one spirit, and that access, it empowers us to be unified together so that we don't have hostility. When we're unified, we're not hostile. When we have peace together, we're not at each other's throats. When we're unified, we're moving the same direction because we're forgiving one another. Again, this just doubles down on this reality of peace with each other. What I want you to see here is that not only can you have unity instead of hostility, but, but look at this. The triunity of God is the model for our unity as believers. I mean, if you read this passage pretty quickly, you can just miss it. But this says very clearly, all three members of the triune God, for through him, Christ Jesus, the Son, the second member of the triune God, we all, the church, both Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the triune God. We have access to who? The Father. God the Father. The first person in the triune God. God the Father, Son, and Spirit, who have existed for all eternity in perfect unity and perfect harmony. Look at this. They invite you and I into relationship with them. And how stupid would it be for us to not have unity and have hostility with each other instead? How ridiculous would it be for us to have partiality against someone because of their ethnicity or the color of their skin? We're just supposed to read this and realize that would be the most foolish thing ever. At the very beginning, I, I said we're going to talk about a hard topic, but I want you to realize how the gospel applies to this hard topic in the most amazing way. Here's what I want you to see, church. Christ has broken down the wall of hostility. He has forgiven all of us in Christ Jesus, the only way through Christ, and we now have access in one spirit. So, so here's what you need to do tonight. Here's, here's application, and it's very broad. First of all, if you find prejudice in your heart, based on someone's externals, male or female, whatever color or ethnicity, maybe it's the, the amount of money they make or their education, if you find hostilities because of those kinds of externals, tonight I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to repent, to turn away from that, to go to the Lord and maybe go to someone else, someone who you've had that prejudice and say, look, I've been wrong. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? But my second application for you, I don't want to miss this opportunity. We are a church. We are a local gathering of believers in Christ. And I guarantee some of us have stepped on each other's toes. And I guarantee some of us have toes that have been stepped on. 
And maybe you've allowed this hostility to simmer. You have unforgiveness in your heart. You have enmity because of someone's actions. Would you make peace with your brother or sister in Christ? Would you forgive them? Or maybe ask for forgiveness? Would you walk in the freedom of the gospel that has been given to us in Christ Jesus? I say that as I turn my eyes toward the communion table. This evening, we're going to, as one, share in communion. And and, uh, I heard recently that the pandemic's over. And so uh, we have bread that's been broken instead of wafers and cups. And so what I'm going to do is invite the worship team up. And as they come up there, uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you. If you have trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection, I'm going to invite you to come up and grab a piece of bread and, and a cup. Take it back to your seat. You can sing with the worship team as they lead us in one song. And then after that, I'm going to come up and I'm going to lead us together as one body in sharing in communion. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to do this for a few weeks in a row. This image right here, and the oneness we have in Christ, they're meant to go hand in hand. We're going to make a practice of remembering together. We're going to do it for a few weeks in a row and see how it goes. And as we do this, take this moment to go to the Lord and thank him that all of your sins have been forgiven. Take this moment to go to the Lord and turn away from any sin that you've been walking in. Take this moment to make peace with a brother or sister in Christ or make the commitment to make peace with them if they're not here tonight. And let's continue to grow as those who have peace with God because of Christ. Church family, the table is now open. Come forward and receive the elements. How deep the Father's love for us beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon a cross My sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers 
So I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. His wounds have paid my ransom. What good news. What amazing news. Well, why don't you go ahead and have a seat? I love this image. This one piece of bread, one loaf, many pieces. This is the church, one body. Many members, one, one household, many, many family members. This is, this is all a reflection of the work of Jesus Christ, what he has done, not what we have done, what he has done on the cross. The scripture teaches that when we come together, we're to share in this. We're to share in this moment as we remember that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And, and he gave thanks. Well, let's start right there. Let's, let's hold this bread. Let's hold this cup. Let's give thanks for what Christ has done. Father, we, we gain so much through what Christ has done. We sing these words, why should we gain? We didn't earn it. Rather, we were the cause of your suffering. Our selfishness and our sinfulness, our, our rebelliousness, our evil deeds and our evil thoughts. Yet you loved us and you died to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You have adopted us, you have redeemed us, you have reconciled us, you have made it so we now, through Christ, have peace with you. And we can't give an answer. But this we know with all our heart. Christ's wounds have paid our ransom. And Lord, we thank you. And we praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
the Lord says that this is my body. He says, it's broken for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember. We saw tonight that Jesus has abolished the commandments of the ordinances. It's no longer do the right thing, and when you don't, have all these sacrifices lined up. No, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Would you stand with us? Let's conclude rejoicing in the freedom and the forgiveness we have in Christ. Thank you for being here.